I'm Taylor. I'm Kat. And welcome to Square Mile of Murder. Uh, This episode is the last in our uh, month-long series of, like, spooky, supernatural, true crimes, some of which are true crime-related, some of which are sort of not, but it's fine. We do what we want. Uh, (laughs) And... This has been our our month of of spook, uh, which was very appropriately timed to my birthday, I will say. That is a scary situation. Um, But uh, this whole thing was inspired by our our friend Melissa, who is magical and wonderful in so many different ways. And she asked us a few months ago if there had ever been a murder which had been blamed on a ghost. Um, And so to, to do a quick recap so far we have had ghosts being murdered ghosts testifying in murder cases uh vampiric siblings draining the life from the living and on patreon um we've also just had witchcraft so okay you know a nice mixed bag yeah i i really enjoyed it because I didn't realize how much overlap there was with folklore and true crime. Yeah. Um, And I know when I start saying things like this, I can see your face just being filled with dread because, you know, I'm about to, you know, go off on a wild hair somewhere. (laughs) Um, But no, it's, it's, I I really enjoyed doing these. So, yeah. yeah. And we have some more themed months planned. Yes, we do. By which we mean the entire year. (laughs) Is now going to be a different theme, theme every month. Yeah, starting in May. Is that right? Yeah, so April. April's just a bit of potluck for you guys. Then yeah. May. What do we have in May? Let's make cults. I will consult my notebook. <laughs> yes, we have cults. May is cults. Okay. Yeah, so also this, I mean, we've got a sort of general idea of like cases that we've picked out but if there's any sort of particular cult that like people really want us to cover let us know because we can you know if 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 it's like a really interesting one or whatever um especially if it's like a a kind of unknown one yeah exactly because obviously we have some big hitters in there Mm -hmm. but yeah so so cults we're into i mean we're not into them and we're not in them but like you know no, we are going to start our own cult because okay that's so much work i know but i want to i want a band merry band of heretics remember? oh that's true i forgot about that yeah oh which is a patreon reference and you'll only hear that if you uh so that was this one's ten dollar and up which is literally our mother's <laughs> Yes. All so. right, only ten dollars and up subscribers. So please, somebody, somebody, go subscribe at that level so that we can talk to people who aren't related to us in those episodes. Okay. <laughs> uh, this week, however, we are back to ghosts um, of the testifying in murders kind mm-hmm. in none other than my homeland, the wonderful county that is Yorkshire. And can I just say? I found this case this time. Yeah. This is this is my <laughs> fault. <laughs> yeah, this is Taylor's fault. Um 
I hadn't heard of this one because it's very, very unknown. Yeah, very old. Um, and of course, once again, we're going back to the olden days. And this is actually one of the oldest cases we've ever done. I think second only to our recent Patreon episode on Alice Keitler and her merry band of heretics. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we shall uh, get into it. On August 23rd, 1662, how far back we're going. Oh boy. A young woman named Isabel Binnington was sat by the fire in a large house in which she was a servant in Great Driffield, East Yorkshire. So it's about 30 miles east of the city of York, if that helps anyone figure out where we're talking about. Um... At the time, Great Driffield was an average small village in rural England in the late Middle Ages. Uh, Today it's recognised as a small historic market town. That's what I know it as. Mm -hmm. Uh, It has a population of just over 13,000 now, according to the 2011 census, 10 years ago. Uh, Interesting random fact about Driffield that I found out. Uh, during my research is that there was a recording studio in the town from 1985 to 1992 called Slaughterhouse Studios and the Happy Mondays were one of the bands that used to record there and Happy Mondays if you don't know were a very popular English rock band from Salford which is near Manchester they're actually still on the go but not as famous as they were in the 80s they were like a really big deal in the 80s hmm. like I'm sure I've heard some of their music but I've Never heard the name, so yeah. I'm going to have to go check that out. So back in the 1660s, long before town markets and northern rock bands, especially that last part, um, Isabel Bennington had just moved to the village to take on a job as a servant in one of the homes in town. Uh, now, we know absolutely nothing about Isabel Bennington, like Absolutely nothing, because there are exactly zero non-academic articles about this case. Uh, And as much as we would love to, we don't have the time or the money to access those academic articles. They're all behind, like, publisher paywalls and stuff. So... And we're not students, so no, not anymore. Unfortunately, I, I literally was like, oh, can I use like a, a, a Strathclyde or a Glasgow like login or like maybe the New York <laughs> Times or something? But no, no, got nothing. Um, so the few articles we were able to find about this story, pretty much offer no background about Isabel other than that she had recently moved to Driffield to start this job which is an absolute shame because one of the things i love about researching different stories especially these really old stories is finding out about the people at the heart of them so i'm really sad that we weren't able to do that this week yeah me too no i agree like i think that sometimes the most interesting parts of some of these is like who these people were but yeah. alas, she's just a sort of mystery figure. Yeah. Um, 
So on the night of August 23rd, 1662, Isabel Bennington was sitting in front of the fire. Uh, As far as we can tell, she was the only one in the house who was up at that time of night when a ghost appeared before her. Regular occurrence in rural Yorkshire. It's fine. Also, though, like, if you're new in a job where you're, like, living in a house and all of a sudden there's just ghosts, I'd be like, uh, where's that contract again? Can I just rip that up, please? <laughs> Thank you. Goodbye. Um, so Isabel described the ghost as a tall young man with long blonde hair, and he was barefoot but wore all green. It's like a fashion statement. This ghost was so lifelike that initially Isabel believed him to be someone who had just been wandering around out in the night and was looking for a place to stay. Hmm. But as the man began silently moving closer, she was a bit startled. And according to Todd Butler's paper, The Haunting of Isabel Binnington, Ghosts of Murder, Texts and Law in Restoration England, don't worry, we will get to what Restoration England is <laughs> later on. It, it, it's shameful, and once again, I'm from Yorkshire, <laughs> not England. There's a difference. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so according to this paper, she demanded in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit that the ghost speak. Uh, the spirit was compelled by her words to reveal his identity. The ghost told Isabel that he was a ghost who wandered the house and had done for the past 14 years, and that he was doomed to haunt the house for another seven. 21 years a charm, apparently. That's, that's very, yeah, it's very specific, isn't it? He reassured as well that he would never hurt her, and then he disappeared. Hmm. He then reappeared the following night, when, once again, Isabel was the only one up at that time of night, and then again, three days later, on August 27th. So... You know, he's got a schedule. Stick into it. Uh, During his third appearance in front of Isabel, the ghost said that he was the restless spirit of James Elliot and that he had been murdered in that house 14 years earlier by three women. The ghost also detailed where his body had been buried beneath the house's floor. And to corroborate what the ghost was telling her, Isabel went and dug where he had specified she's very industrious this woman i like her oh this ghost told me to dig here so when it gets light i'm gonna dig here get the shovel guys um so (laughs) when the neighbors saw her digging uh she said that since she'd only been in the area a few months she wondered if the previous owners had perhaps buried some money around the property I feel like that's less or that's more suspicious and and like like a big bigger no-no than just saying a ghost told me to. Yeah, well for some reason this wasn't seen as strange at all. <laughs> Although I suppose the explanation would, you know, that would wash if you know there's so there's a depression in the floor. You could say, oh there's you know, there's this depression, so I think something's buried beneath it. So I can kind of understand that. And I wonder, because Isabel had only been there a few months, I wonder if the family she worked for had only just moved there, so she'd maybe been with them before and then moved into this house, as opposed to just moved to the area and just 
Whereas this family had been there for years. Maybe. So, things to wonder about. Yeah, really. Um, so, Isabel found, like, a slight depression in the floor, like we said, where the ghost had specified. So, she dug it up. Um, and there she found a skeleton with the remains of a wooden stake through the chest cavity. I haven't pre-read this, so that was a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's not a good sign. No. Um, so because Isabel had been the one to disturb his grave, the ghost of James Elliot charged her with getting justice for him. That, I mean, that's not fair. What if you just happened upon it and then, but well, and like now it was an accident. <laughs> yeah. And now you like, you, you're saddled with this guy's like unfinished business. Dude, <laughs> impolite. But alas, that's how it happened, I guess. That's how you did things in 1662. And when you're a ghost, I'm, oh my God, my brain. I'm so sorry. Um, so in a series of further late night exchanges, James's ghost told Isabel that he had been traveling through Driftfield 14 years earlier when he had gotten into a disagreement with a local woman. And in the home where Isabel now lived and worked, this woman and two of her friends had murdered and robbed him. Um, he also provided her with much more information about his life prior to arriving in Driftfield. But unfortunately, very little of that information has been preserved. And what has been preserved hasn't yet been digitized. AKA, we don't know what the fuck he said. Yeah. Um, so, now she'd been charged with getting justice for James Elliot. Isabel contacted the local justices of the peace, also known as JPs. Uh, it feels like a very, like, cool dude, like, cool cousin, JP. <laughs> so, when I read this... And it's shot into JP. All I thought of, there was this, this show about eight to nine years ago called Fresh Meat. Mm -hmm. And it was about a group of students in their first year at university and they didn't get into halls of residence. So they lived in like a, like a, a random house together. Mm -hmm. And one of the characters is called JP and he is played by Jack Whitehall. Um, but yeah, so if I hear JP, I think of his character JP <laughs> in this show. It's brilliant. It's on Netflix in the UK. It's on like um, all four as well. It's real. I would recommend it. But yeah, that is you say JP, and I just have this image. So bit of a different, uh, different yeah. thing. <laughs> so the JPs were an early form of law enforcement who were tasked with keeping the peace within their jurisdiction. Even though Isabel knew the exact location of the body and had all the details on who the body belonged to, and even his family and his history, everything about this man, she was met by scepticism by the JPs and the local magistrates and basically pretty much everyone in the local community. Obviously. Yeah, I mean, fair. <laughs> yeah. 350 years ago, there wasn't like a proper nationally linked up law enforcement agency. So there was no way for the JPs to easily verify Isabel's claim without travelling from Driffield down to London 
where the ghost supposedly told Isabel he came from. Um, so according to Google, on a good day with no traffic, you can drive from Driffield to London in just under four hours. But in 1662, that 200-mile journey would have taken days, possibly even weeks, depending upon like how they were travelling, whether they were walking by horse, if they had a cat, you know. It would have been a journey. Yeah, did they have like a little cart? Was it a big carriage? Did the horses get tired? How many times did they have to stop for food? You know. <laughs> it would have taken them a long time to travel around England to verify this story that Isabel had told them. Yeah. But uh, Isabel and Ghost James didn't get up. They were not deterred by the, the lack of support from the JPs. Uh, Isabel went to the local church and demanded that the ghost of James Elliot be prayed for, uh, which got her some more serious attention locally, as one might imagine. But when the murder of James Elliot still wasn't taken seriously, Isabel came out with the most... With the most... Yep. Isabel came out with the most shocking claims of the whole affair, a murder which had not yet happened. Ooh. Now, to explain this, we have to go into a bit of British history. So, bear with Very briefly. Yeah, <laughs> briefly. Like, there's a lot there. It's just a small slice. So... And I'm going to talk through my section very quick with a lot of British shame. <laughs> well, there you go. And by British, I mean specifically English <laughs> shame. Actually, this is a lot like when, when we described the Civil War in like a paragraph and a half a couple of weeks ago, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, this is exactly the same. <laughs> there's actually a Civil War. Hey, there you go. In this bit as well. There's two, technically. There you go. Two for the price of one. Um, so yeah, in 1603, Queen Elizabeth I died, and as you might expect from uh, a so-called virgin queen, uh, she had no children to inherit the throne, so the Tudor dynasty ended with dear old Lizzie, and the Stuart dynasty began with James the Sixth and First. Oh, we talked about him in the Sawney Bean episode, didn't we? Because he's like, possibly, he's, I it's don't confusing. Remember. So it, he was James the sixth of Scotland, but James the first of England, Ireland, and Wales, and he got the job because he was the closest relative to Queen Elizabeth. James number six slash number one was the son of Mary Queen of Scots, <laughs> who had been killed by Elizabeth first in 1587 and he was the great great grandson of henry the seventh and elizabeth of york who were queen elizabeth's grandparents so like basically they were cousins distant cousins doesn't matter he got the job they were cousins yeah so uh he was already the king of scotland when queen elizabeth the first died and so he then also inherited the kingdom of england because it's not, it's totally not complicated, right? <laughs> yeah. A lot of bad shit happened in this period, which pretty much like all the evil things that we did throughout human history, we're not taught about in schools in England. 
and I had to research very quickly by skimming articles on Wikipedia. <laughs> this is the aforementioned very fast-talking English shame. When James inherited the throne, England were just re-establishing control in Ireland because at one point we were pushed out because, you know, we don't belong there anyway. <laughs> so James became king of three separate kingdoms, England and Wales, Scotland and Ireland. Uh, this is not, as I mistakenly believed, the period in which the United Kingdom of Great Britain was established slash united slash forced upon people. That actually comes about a century later. Uh, James died in 1624 and he was succeeded by Charles I, who was wildly unpopular everywhere <laughs> for a variety of reasons. One of which being that he dissolved the English government because he was too boneheaded to work with anyone, uh, believing in the absolute power of the monarch and ruled directly for 11 years, with absolutely no parliament, no government, no nothing, no accountability. This led to numerous civil wars in quick succession in England, uh, following which he was tried and executed in 1649. Oh, boy. <laughs> I desperately want to watch a, a period drama about this all. So that's... There was one about Mary Queen of Scots a couple of years ago. I know. I, need to, I still need to watch that. It's been on my list. Actually, I think I have a book on... Like, the only book on my bookshelf right now after moving all this crap in here is uh, about Mary Queen of Scots. <laughs> um... <laughs> Right, so all of that, all of that, um, so yeah, so all of that led to a whole lot of other crap, uh, which we don't have time to get into, but uh, it's safe to say that from 1649 to 1660, there was no monarch in England, and Parliament was reestablished, which is actually really interesting. Like. I didn't know that could happen. Just yeah, wasn't we one. were briefly a republic. Yeah, imagine that. Um, I'm I'm trying. It sounds wonderful. <laughs> you know, God bless the Queen. Ninety five next month, but uh, so you know, she she might she she could be the last. We could we could just not have Charles. I'll take not having Charles for. 500, Alex? I uh, will take turning Buckingham Palace into a Diana-themed gay bar. Oh, yes. It's gaudy enough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, right, so. Parliament re-established. Commonwealth was established as a republic, and the country was ruled by the parliament. Uh, but, yeah. Didn't last forever. We're, we've somehow ended up back where we are now so this is how that happened in 1660 england scotland wales and ireland returned to a monarchy and charles ii charles i's eldest surviving son took power of the three kingdoms once again so by the time isabel bennington was chatting away to james Eliot's ghost on a nightly basis england had been back under monarch rule for two years so if the ghost's claims were true about his travels through Yorkshire uh, and his untimely death, the ghost would actually have died a year before Charles I's execution and 12 years before Charles II re-established the monarchy. Or 11 years, sorry. 11 years before Charles II re-established the monarchy. Um, and this, he would have been completely dead during the brief period in which England was a republic. 
And yet, somehow, James Elliot's ghost knew of a plot to assassinate King Charles 2.0. <laughs> As you might imagine, there was a lot of talk, rumour, even innuendo during this time about assassination and overthrowing the new king from those opposed to the re-establishment of the monarchy. But Isabel seemed to have more than just a cobbled together tale of all the various local gossip and idle chatter. Now, according to Todd Butler's paper, The Haunting of Isabel Binnington, Isabel gave the names of two men who had managed to ensconce themselves into Charles II's personal staff. And the ghost had even told her how they covertly communicated with each other. Uh, she was insistent that not only was the fate of James Elliot's ghost and his eternal peace at stake, now the fate of the whole country and Scotland and Ireland and all those colonies, probably also, all of that hung in the balance. Whew, that's a lot of pressure. So... The only thing that could save England was... And the world, and don't the forget. And the world. So, the only thing that could save all of these various places and people and all this stuff was the JPs acting on Isabel Bennington's words and claims and investigating this murder, I guess. Even though the fate was in their hands, the JPs were like, nah, we're not going all the way to London to save the king. Charlie boy can fend for himself. Like the good northerners that they were. <laughs> um, that is not a direct quote. Oh, no. But it should be. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> now, it turns out that the JPs, in their lack of sort of care about what happened to the king, made absolutely no difference to history whatsoever. Uh, because nothing happened. Everything was fine. Nothing from Isabel and the ghost story, ghost's story came to fruition, and Charles continued to rule until his death in 1685. Um, and the planned assassination wasn't the only thing the JPs didn't take action on. The story of the body buried under the, under the floor was never taken further by the JPs, and there was no case ever brought before the Yorkshire Assizes. The best court around. I know you love that word. When I saw that, I was like, yes, yes we get to say Assizes. Assizes, Assizes, Assizes. I feel like there's a dance that has to go with it. A lot of, a lot of butt shaking involved. A lot of twerking. But, well, n no, because I'm... I'm very, very white, so I can't do that, but, <laughs> you know. So, yeah. Nobody got to go the assizes. Nobody was happy. Uh, the only reason the story has not been lost to history is that numerous copies of Isabel's testimonies to the JPs have survived. And there are two known versions of Isabel's testimony which survive, and in each one, her story is a little bit different. Uh, the first version seems to tell a straightforwardish story in which a ghost appeared to Isabel telling her where to look for the body buried under the floor. The second version is much more detailed and includes much more information about James Elliot, if that was in fact his name, mm -hmm. and the plot to assassinate the king. 
Each of these versions was made into like a pamphlet type of publication and circulated in the local area. So Sasha Handley, in her book Visions of an Unseen World, posits that this actually had nothing to do with a murder and that ghost stories were a way for folk, in particularly in rural areas, to exchange stories and knowledge. She points out that the story of a person travelling through an area, being robbed and murdered by locals, was a tried and tested story by 1662, almost to the point of being like a trope. Mm. And it was a surefire way to attract the attention of the local JPs, magistrates, or upper classes. Hmm. Interesting. So, with all that in mind, basically, the theory is that this ghost story may have been a cover for some other local knowledge or gossip that Isabel needed to pass on to the JPs. Um, copies of the two pamphlets the examination of Isabel Binnington of Great Driftfield and a strange and wonderful discovery of a horrid and cruel murder. So the copies of the two pamphlets um, that were made from Isabel's various testimonies survive today, and they are held in various archives in England. Now, there is one final theory about the ghosts, which we're going to talk about. Some believe that Isabel's original claims to her neighbors that she was digging where she had noticed a depression in the floor in the hopes that there was some money or possibly valuables buried there was in fact her original intention. After all, she had recently moved to the area, didn't know the history of the place, and upon spotting this depression in the floor, she might have hoped that something lay beneath and it would allow her to leave her out life of household service i mean who wouldn't yeah. but when she found the skeleton she had to come up with a story that would explain why she was digging up her employer's flaws <laughs> without arousing suspicion when you put it like that <laughs> yeah well that's the thing even if that's this true story if and then her bosses would be like yes but why were you digging up our flaws yeah no, exactly. I was hoping you'd buried some money there, or whoever lived here before had buried some money and I could steal yeah, it and like not be your servant anymore. And not tell you guys about it. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a theory that she came up with the story of James Elliot and just kept embellishing. So Isabel would have known that there was no easy way for the JPs to corroborate her story without travelling or sending representatives to travel the length of the country. Ghost stories and encounters at that time favoured the trope of a restless spirit who had been robbed and murdered and was unable to rest until they received justice. So Isabel used that as a framework for her tale and just went with it. I mean, makes sense. Um, however, this theory doesn't explain the inclusion of the assassination plot against King Charles II. So that's a question mark. Um, yeah. Now, ultimately, we do not know the truth about who or what Isabel Bennington saw in the late summer of 1662, nor do we know what happened to the skeleton that she discovered or if it was ever identified and buried in a cemetery. <laughs> Which, if she did dig up a skeleton... And it wasn't buried. 
Where? Where did it go? I'm going to get on to that in a minute. Okay. Uh, what we do know is that this story has become a part of the very rich folk history that is woven into the very fabric of Yorkshire, which I'm sure the cat is going to tell us more about in a minute. Um, uh, but yeah, that that is the the sort of the as we know it <laughs> and as is reported in the sources we can find uh, story of the haunting of Isabel Biddington. I really enjoyed this one. It's cool. Because it's not one that I've heard of before. Yeah. But it would link up with some other folklore of the local area. So, um, so where I live in the North York Moors, there is 20 minute driveway. So we have the, about 20 minutes from where I live, there is the early warning station, which was built during the Cold War. And it is for the, for Britain, it's the four minute warning or was the four minute warning for if the Soviets fired nuclear missiles, mm -hmm. weapons, things, whatever. And for America, it was a 15 minute warning. So it was basically a warning to hide the president and the queen mm -hmm. is essentially all it was. So where that is built is just next to um, this place called the legendary Salter's Gate Inn. So Salter's Gate is, it's on this really twisty, turny road, like this really twisty, turny bank. It's a main road. It's called Devil's Elbow because it's a really tight elbow. It's really fun to drive, but it's another point for another day. <laughs> um, yeah, so... It's it's under under Devil's Elbow, and it's this old pub, and there was this legend that went with it. So the fire in the fireplace in the pub always had to be burning. The fire could never go out. And this legend has been in just a, a piece of local folklore for generations, I think hundreds of years. And the story that goes with it was that, so in the olden days before HMRC and centralised inland revenue systems, the taxman went from place to place collecting tax taxes. There was like a taxman for each area. Mm. Kind of like in Robin Hood. Yeah. Where the sheriff goes around collecting the taxes from the people. Um, so it was that kind of thing. Anyway, the people in Salter's Gate didn't have the money to pay the taxman. Or they're like, uh, fuck no. <laughs> Um, so they decided to kill the taxman. And his body was bricked up behind the fireplace. Oh. And so this became part of a local legend that the fire could never go out because if the fire went out, the body might be found. Oh. And so for hundreds of years, the fire was never allowed to go out. Then, what people tend to do with really historic buildings is they buy them, realise how much money is involved in in maintaining them, realize they can't demolish them because of like grade listings and caveats and things that these buildings have to be protected. So they leave them to go to wreck and ruin until they become a public hazard, then they have to be destroyed. They have to be bulldozed. Yeah. And that's what happened at Salter's Gate. It was bought. The people that bought it couldn't afford the, the maintenance and stuff. And then they couldn't knock it down and build on it because it has stunning views of the, the moors. Mm -hmm. So they just left it until it was falling down and then it had to be 
taken it had to be demolished because it was was pub, like a public safety risk because it's right on the edge of the road mm-hmm. it was becoming a public hazard and that's what happened so the salters gate in is flattened now which is really really sad so obviously now it's been destroyed the fire obviously went out when they yeah. decided to leave it to rack and ruin there's nobody there bummer so there was nobody was ever found no no skeleton no remains yeah i think this is a similar thing I think there's, especially when you think of the, the stake through the heart. Yeah. Obviously, we're 100 years ahead of the the very early vampire panics in New England. Yeah. I think there could be something similar in that there's been, you know, you've got this wooden stake through the chest. And I wonder if this, this has been someone, you know, you know, consumption, mm-hmm. to, you know, for early form of tuberculosis was was very much a thing at this time there was a plague every other week <laughs> yeah there was you know there was lots of plagues there was lo- lots of in- uh very serious illnesses uh public health was not sort of a thing that was recognized on anyone's radar so i wonder if there's like a kind of a vampiric consumption kind of story there and this guy was thought to be a vampire and he was killed and then buried and when she found the body and it was kind of all kind of literally swept under the carpet like no 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 we can't disturb this body um so i wonder if it's something like that and it was just like this the same as like solar's gate was like this this legend of no we can't disturb this body yeah that would make sense i also like I don't know, like, it's so interesting, especially because, like, it's so murky, right? And, and like, yeah. part of me wants to say, well, maybe it was this, like, folk tale made up to, I don't even know, like, keep someone from digging up their employer's floor or keep someone from, like, almost, like, going and crying wolf to the the local court or whatever the jps like uh, like it's so it's hard because there's not like a clear moral i guess yeah that that's the thing and obviously bits of like bits of the story being lost to time and things like i am trying to think actually if i've ever even been been to Driffield, but I don't know if maybe if you went today and you talked to people mm-hmm. who live there, if any of this folklore survived, like like the Salters Gate legend yeah. has survived where I live yeah. and various other um sort of folklore to do with the Moors. Yeah. Driffield's not in the Moors National Park, it's a bit further south. Um so I don't know if there's then this kind of folklore of East Yorkshire mm-hmm. that may have survived and that might, you know. So I wonder if there is a lot more to this story that hasn't made it into sort of a mainstream yeah or a digitized yeah, it hasn't been recorded in the same way um yeah like like a digital archive in any kind of way but there's maybe more locally yeah yeah totally well i was just thinking like i i feel like the whole assassination of the king part is really interesting and it feels like something that was like tacked on later as a sort of like propaganda thing i don't know exactly what it's propagandizing but like i had another thought about that so this is so this is six uh 1662 this is 57 years after the gunpowder plot Mm -hmm. 
So if you're not from the UK, I don't know how many people know about the gunpowder plot. Did you know about it before you moved here? I did, but I'm a nerd, so... <laughs> After Halloween, you in America all have Thanksgiving, but we don't have Thanksgiving, we have Bonfire Night instead, and then we get to Christmas. Uh, so on the 5th of November, 1605, there was a plot by a group of, I believe they were Catholics. I'm going to be so fucked if I've got this the wrong way around. Uh, so we had a Protestant uh, monarchy, um, but this was on like 70 years, I think, since the uh, the British monarchy broke away from the Catholic Church mm-hmm. and created the Church of England. Uh, there was a plot to blow up the Houses of Parliament, basically, and it was going to be the 5th of November, 1605. What happened? And it was led by a guy named Guy Fox, yep. who is why, which is why we burn effigies on Bonfire Night, and they're called guys. Although it's not a common thing anymore; that's very much died out. Uh, burning effigies, it's mostly fireworks now, but some like places that have bonfires do still do the effigies. Mm-hmm. But uh, so Guy Fox and his um people. He was plotting with... Co-conspirators. That's the word. (laughs) And his co-conspirators, they had the plot, they were going... When Parliament met, they would blow up Parliament, and that was a protest against uh, the Protestant rulers of the time, I think. Yes, you're you're correct. I did a quick Wikipedia. It was... They sought to reinstate a Catholic leader to the throne. That was it. Yeah. Because... I'm always worried at that time because so they did go back and forth a lot between Catholicism and Protestantism. The gunpowder plot was foiled at the very last minute because one of the co-conspirators uh, basically changed his mind and was like, no, nah, I don't want to do this and told, I think it was a relative who worked in Parliament. Mm-hmm. And so they you know, went into the tunnels underneath Parliament, found all this gunpowder it was removed. Guy Fawkes and his co-conspirators were hung, drawn, and quartered, and their heads were put on spikes at the... Now, I think it was London Bridge, not the Tower of London. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, their heads were put on spikes on the city walls. And I wonder, getting back to my original point... <laughs> If this whole thing to do with Charles II was actually like that, like Isabella knew or had heard of this plot and she needed to find a way to tell the magistrates and the JPs and, you know, Mm -hmm. the higher ups without being seen as a snitch. Hmm. So I wonder if that was as... um, uh, Sasha Handley said in her book, you know, ghost stories were a way to pass local knowledge and, and gossip around. Yeah. So I wonder if that, you know, having absolutely nothing to do with any kind of other folklore, if it was something like that. Because from what I've read, there was nothing happened with this supposed body that she found. Yeah. But I do wonder if, because there's no record of anything happening 
this body ever been dug up, identified or anything like that. I wonder if this was her way of trying to like snitch without being a snitch. Yeah, and also like if if that message then got to, you know, cuz we said nothing ever happened the king lived until he ruled until he died, right? But maybe yeah. nothing ever happened because that message got relayed. It, yeah. It and could like just... they stopped something from happening. Yeah, just cuz the JPs didn't take any action. It was a well-known story became very well known so it could have been relayed throughout the country yeah exactly and eventually the you know the royal household did find this out yeah and also like if if it was a particularly like tumultuous time which it probably was because the the monarchy had just been reformed yeah they were you, two years into so it's called the restoration period yeah like so they were two years into restoring the monarchy after um 11 years as a republic yeah so like i could totally see how the monarchy would want to be very careful about even releasing the information that there had been like a foiled plot against the king because it's like yeah. we, we are stable we are sturdy we're fine guys this you're we know mm. you had like a republic for a decade and a bit but this is actually what you need whereas if, yeah. if someone was like oh people are trying to kill the king and everything's going to shit like that could look really bad for them so yeah i could totally I say see this that. is just 57 years after the gunpowder plot so though yeah. it will have still been like in living memory for some people obviously life expectancy generally was a lot shorter but there will have been people for whom this was living memory yeah so it's possible that they were like hmm we told everyone about the gunpowder plot. We put their heads on spikes and it hasn't worked. <laughs> Maybe we don't give them any... We don't make them into martyrs. Yeah. Because that's just, ultimately what happened. Yeah, we just hide it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So... So... I don't know. There's so much here. And we leave with more questions. Yeah. I just think it's... I, I love... I kind of love it when there's not a lot of information because your brain fills in the gaps and, like, yeah. you just... You can kind of run wild with speculation. Mm -hmm. um, and that's always kind of fun. Yeah. I mean, I absolutely love local folklore. There's so much of it just just in, like, the North Yorkmoors. So I am assuming that everywhere else in England has... And, well, the UK in general has, like, all these old folk traditions and folk oh, yeah. stories. Yeah. Um because we are a country that's very rich in folklore and and sort of oral storytelling. Yeah. Um which is a shame a lot of it has died out, but I love that things like this I say we we might have to take a field trip <laughs> and find out <laughs> go to the, some of these... the library or Yeah. yeah. feels a nice town, I'm told. It's in a really nice area, the Yorkshire Wolds. It's really um, sort of picturesque. But I do know that in a lot of these small market towns and all these other rural areas around Yorkshire, there is all this like really rich history of yeah. folklore and uh, oral storytelling. So I really want to find out if it's survived in Driffield. Yeah, if there's more information out there somewhere. Yeah. Like sitting in a dusty like archive box or something. Could well be. Uh, uh, uh. Just have to find out. 
on next year's episode of Square <laughs> on Square Mile of Murder in the Aftertimes. Um <laughs> uh, but yeah, so like that is that is us being spooky. Well not being spooky, talking about things that were spooky and crimey and things. But if you liked this month, if you liked this episode, if you liked any or all of our episodes and and you have not done so already we would super duper love it if you could rate uh review and subscribe to us on apple podcasts or spotify or stitcher or google or amazon um just anywhere because it helps us a lot and it, it makes us feel all warm and fuzzy inside and and um yeah and if you leave us a nice review we will read it out yeah. You know. If you want to be nice and, and leave us a nice review, yeah, we'll read it on the on the the, uh, the who's you what's it that we do this thing that you're listening to. Yeah. I'm so tired. <laughs> Taylor's sleep deprived in case nobody has noticed in the last hour. Yeah. Um if you would like to go one step further and give us some money, we would be really grateful. And Today, if you're listening on the day of release, is your final day to get 30% of everything in our merch shop. Uh, use the code OMG30 for 30% off everything. Uh, because Taylor was 30 this month, in the month of March, and had an existential crisis. Yep. Yeah, so the link to the merch shop will be in the episode description. It's on the website. It's somewhere on social media. Find it. OMG30. And some of you have already been sending us some merch pictures of stuff yeah. you've bought, which is like, we love it. It's so cool. Yes. And if you love the sound of our voices so much that you just want more, you Obviously. can become a patron. For as little as £1 a month, you get regular episodes a day early. From £2 a month, you get an extra bonus episode where we go completely off script. Because believe it or not, this is script. This is us scripted. Yeah, most of it. Not the end bit, but like, yeah. Uh, we do a bonus episode once a month where we go completely off script. And... People seem to like it. I don't know why, but... <laughs> Because we're just everyone's friends, just hanging out, just chatting. We're delightful, goddammit. We are amazing people. <laughs> uh, for £5 or $5 and up, you get two bonus episodes a month, and £10 or $10 or more, you get three bonus oh. episodes. We also send you some very cool Money Can't Buy merch. And we will say your name on the podcast because we're delightful. Say your name on the podcast. You also get your own Patreon merch discount to use. Oh, yeah. Whenever and however and however often you would like. Yeah, a um, lifetime discount. Yep. And uh, shit, what else? Like, you just get to hang out. Yeah, we, so obviously, like, on social media, we try to respond to, you know, whatever messages or comments we get but um sometimes you know we're busy making all these bonus episodes we're busy so uh but like you go on patreon you got a direct line to us you can yeah. message us you can comment on on our our posts there and you know you can send in 
we we prioritize Patreon requests for like episodes and cases to cover. So yeah, just uh, yeah. if you're at all interested in that, and it's okay if you're not, but if you are, check it out. It's a fun yep. time. Link is in the episode description and again on social media and the website. Yes. And that is it for this week. Oh, no, it isn't. Oh. Uh, newsletter. Oh, yes. Our monthly newsletter will go out at the end of this week. It's the first Friday of every month, so there will be a sign-up link floating around somewhere in the episode description, hopefully. Yep. It's in the show notes. Yep. Uh, sign up and... We will be in your inbox as well as your ears. Yeah. Hey, Who we're, wouldn't we're want everywhere. That? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, do that. That one's free. That one's yeah. easy. We won't spam you. We won't send you junk. It's just one email a month and any we, other like little random announcements. But um, yeah. Yes. Yeah. And we don't really understand how to harvest data. So we can't no. even do that. You're safe. No idea. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, and we will see everyone next week for episode 60. Oh, God. Scottish case. Yes, yeah. Back with another Scottish case Should in Edinburgh probably get this time. Round to writing this. It's fine. It's fine. Um, so, yeah. yeah. Thanks so much, Th everyone. Thank you for listening. Bye. Bye.